Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and start again here. Um, I want to share about uh, my experiences with the pandemic. Uh, some of you know, obviously, with the last name Anderson, that uh, I'm Swedish, and Swedes don't mind six-foot distancing. <laughs> if if they see six feet, they would say, can I do 12? You know? <laughs> and I've been cooped up in an office uh, in my house for the last, the last year. And again, from a Swede's perspective, that's wonderful. Don't have to talk to people. I can put on my, uh, my headphones and listen to Carol King all day long if I want. And um, so it's been uh, different. Um, I, I attend a connect group where people realize that I lack somewhat in experiencing the love and the presence of God. And, and my, dear, my dear friends in my connect group have been praying for me. And so when Pastor Josely asked recently, we'd like you to add on to the Love Is series, uh, I found that really challenging. It's like, how do I deal with this? This isn't, this isn't my thing, you know? And Josely shared recently that he had to counsel married people when he was single. And he was asking the question, how do I do that? That's, that's not an easy thing. I don't know anything about marriage. I'm not even married. And the Lord showed him that you have my word. You have my word. I, I can show you what you need to, to give. You, all things have been given to us that pertain to life and godliness. So with that, he was able to counsel a married, a married couple. And, and, I, and so I feel like today as I share about what love is, that I have the word, the word of God to lean on. And I try to lean hard on that, to try to get the Lord's perspective. And it's not based on what I've experienced or not experienced. It's based on the truth of who God is. And so with that, we'll go ahead and, and dive in. One of the things that struck me about what love is, is there's a direct connection between love and obedience. Uh, we don't often think of that. We think of uh, emotions, where we think of a heart or a feeling toward God. Uh, it is that, and that is part of experiencing him for sure. But there's, there's something that goes along with that, and it's called obedience. Um, I'm going to read from John 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Another portion in that same chapter in, in John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I need to go back to the garden, to Adam and Eve. These were the first people that were made in the image of God with the Holy Spirit. They were given the ability to communicate with God. That's what it means to be made in the image of God, is that I share an identity, I share a likeness with God. I'm able to communicate with him and he with me. And Adam and Eve were given only one command. There was one tree in the garden that they could not eat of. And they chose to go ahead and do that. They felt that their idea of knowing good and evil, understanding and growing in knowledge would come through, actually through disobedience. And they went ahead and they ate of that tree 
in the entire history of mankind since that point has been one of people understanding to some degree what God requires and what he desires and finding failure in, in obtaining that. It, it started with Adam and Eve uh, and it has permeated all the way down to 2021. Um, you look at the story of the people in the Bible, people who heard God and yet followed him imperfectly. Uh, you look at Abraham, who heard the call to leave and go to another land, uh, a land he didn't know. He didn't know where he was going. And he, and he launched out in faith. And yet he tried to pawn his wife off as his sister a couple times. And, and, and his kids you know, went, went crazy on him. And uh, you, you look at um, the history of Israel. When they were in the, the promised land after they had captured it uh, from taking it from the Canaanites, they would enjoy a period of prosperity and things would go well for them. And then they would forget God. They would latch on to their possessions. They would enjoy the blessings that God had given them, but would forget about the giver of the blessings. That happened again and again. And God would have to come in and send somebody to discipline them, to afflict them so that they might turn back to God. And the process went on again and again and again. And so last one I'll talk about here, David, a man after God's own heart, who heard God, who, who knew the spirit of God, and yet failed miserably, failed miserably in many ways and um, you know he's an example to uh, all of us to to not believe that we are immune to falling he was a man of God who, who wrote many of the Psalms in the Bible and truly poured out his heart to the Lord and yet yet failed in some key areas and then you come to Jesus and he's preaching and he says, not one dot or tittle, one smallest portion of the law will be removed. And he preaches and he says that our obedience is not just our outward actions. It goes way beyond that, way beyond that. Um, it goes to our motives. Where is our heart? Jesus said, if you're angry at your brother, it's equivalent to sinning or it's equivalent to murder, excuse me. Uh, if you look lustfully after a woman, uh, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. And Jesus says, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the most religious spiritual guys out there. Uh, they memorized five books of the Bible. They knew the law. And, and Jesus says, your righteousness must exceed their righteousness. How, how do you deal with that? that that's, that's just beyond. The people that heard that must have stood in, in just with their mouth hanging open in shock. What? Be perfect? Is your heavenly Father is perfect? We can't get there. And that's the whole point of the law. God does not grade us on the curve. Uh, his standards are not diminished just because we do not have the ability to follow them. 
um, it, it's, it's, his laws never change. They will never pass away. And so what are we to do with that? God cannot relax those. He can't just say, well, we'll forget about those and just look beyond that this time. He could not do that and remain holy. And I wanted to read something from Paul in Romans chapter 7. He's one that experienced this conundrum and wrote about it deeply in chapter 7 of Romans. He understood the, the commands of God and that that's really, how do I love God? I obey him. And the law cannot be diminished just because I have a hard time doing it. Where do I go with this? And here's, here's Romans' cry, or uh, Paul's cry here in Romans 7, uh, verses 21 through 23. So he's saying here, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin and death that dwells in my members. And he goes on to say in the next verse here, who will deliver me from this body of death? This, this is a horrible, horrible thing to know what God desires and find that you are incapable of doing that. And that's, that's exactly where Paul found himself. And uh, there are people that believe that maybe uh, Paul wrote chapter 7 before he became a Christian, or that he's describing his experience before he became a Christian. Uh, I believe this is something that happened after he became to the Lord. Uh, it's quite possible, as we talked about David, to be full of the Spirit and yet still walk in the flesh. That's a reality that we all have to deal with. There's that tension that we, we are new creations, and yet we still have the ability to sin grievously. And, and here's Paul. He's trying to deal with this. How do I, how do I deal with this thing? I'm, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm, I'm as good as a dead man here trying to obey the law of God. Notice how many times you see the word I in, this, in these sentences that I read here. It was Paul in his own strength, in his own ability, trying to be good. It's like the Christian trying to be moral. Okay, I've got my checklist. I won't do, eat, I won't uh, drink or smoke, run around, uh, all these things. I'll, I'll wear certain clothes. I'll certain wear my hair a certain way. And, and I'll do things that will make me look good on the outside. And Jesus addresses that. He talked to the Pharisees and said, you are whitewashed sepulchers. You look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. And no matter how hard we try to run down that checklist of, of being the good Christian, um, there's, there's bones inside, and they stink, and, and there's, there's no way to make them right. There's absolutely nothing that we can do that God wants or that God wants us to do to make our flesh presentable to God. The thing, the nature that we're born with is corrupt. Paul talked earlier in, in Romans about no one is righteous. No one seeks after God. Um, everyone is, is, is corrupt to the core. And 
how do we deal with that? If that's all we had was the standard of God and he says, I'm going to evaluate this on the standard, we would all be in huge trouble. We, there would be no hope for any of us. Um, but fortunately, there are glimmers in the Old Testament that speak toward the new covenant. Moses himself, he said, one is coming after me, one who will hear my voice and speak my words. And he was referring to Jesus. And then there's Jeremiah 31, probably one of the key verses in the Old Testament that points toward the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That has always been God's heart to have a people and to be their God and to dwell in their midst. That's from, from day one in the garden of Adam and Eve. And that it will ultimately be fulfilled on the new earth when we are again in another garden. And so Paul, going back to Romans here, when he discovers this, when he realizes that the obedience that's required of me, that is evidence of my love for God, is not going to come from this thing that I'm born with. It comes from a completely different source. And here's what Paul says in Romans 7, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He's acknowledging that our flesh will always be pointing towards sin. Don't try to fix it. <laughs> Jesus fixed it when he took it all to the cross, when he took our old man to the cross and, and, and crucified it with him. And then he says in Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We're being a commandments, right? There's the law of sin and death, which is my flesh trying to please God. And then there's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's no other way to fulfill the commandments of God without being connected to God's Spirit, through being born again, to receiving that, that heart of flesh that replaces the heart of stone that we're born with. And that, that, is, that is an amazing thing. That's If we did not have the new covenant, if we did not have God's grace through his sacrifice on the cross, we would, we would be without hope in this world. There, there's no other way to navigate this life. It is, is a downward trend, but unfortunately, we have, we have this, this new covenant. And 
it's not like a medieval painting with people walking around with halos on their head. This, this new covenant is, is rugged. It's something that takes us through the, the reality of life as it is. And one of, one of my favorite scriptures or sections of scripture is in 2 Corinthians here. I'm going to go ahead and read this where Paul is talking about that, that new heart that is given to us. That's the, the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, the treasure of the Holy Spirit, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So we go, we go the way of the cross. We, we voluntarily um, lay our lives down because we have been given a new heart. We've been given the ability to actually crucify our flesh. Prior to the new covenant, we could not do that. There was no way we could deal with it and, and make ourselves pure. God says, I give you the power, the ability to walk by my spirit. In Galatians, it tells us, if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's, that's, a, that's a promise to us, that we do not have to remain in the flesh all of our days. There is hope. There is hope for us. Um, one of the preachers that I enjoy hearing is, is John Piper. He's the pastor in Minnesota. He has a phrase that I think helps maybe clarify or help us with our attitude toward God in regard to obedience. Um, he said, as God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. I am most satisfied when I'm walking in the spirit. I am at most peace and joy when I choose to follow him with my mind, place my mind on the things that are above and to trust him. Um, I'll just share something from my own experience as, as a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time. And, and you go through periods. You go through periods that are dry sometimes. You go through periods of absolute despair. And God knows that. And, and the Bible is so honest. I mean, you look at the Psalms and, and there's uh, people crying out all the time and, and saying, Lord, you forgive, you've forgotten us completely. We're done. And yet they'll say, but I remember how you went out with us in the past and you went with our armies and, and I will praise you again. You know, there's this acknowledgement of life is hard and yet there's an acknowledgement that, that he is there in the midst of it and that it is good. Um, but what I've experienced as a, as a Christian that 
you know, I go through a dry time and I, I'll ignore God and, and not really pay attention to him and maybe get behind on Bible reading and, and, and actually worshiping him and, and go through what my wife would call a blue funk. <laughs> and it's, it's a real thing. And then, I'll, for whatever reason, I will come back to him. You know, I get tired of, <laughs> tired of a blue funk. It's not good. And so I, I, will, I will come back and I will, I will spend time with the Lord and enjoy his presence. And I, when I do that, I go, Steve, you're an absolute idiot. Why don't you do this all the time? <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that when you draw near to him and abide in him and enjoy his presence, it's, it's a precious, precious thing. And, and that's the way he designed us. He designed us for joy, to, to experience him. And that when I'm walking and functioning in all four cylinders, so to speak, that brings glory to God. And it's evidence that I love him. When, I, when I'm abiding in him, I want to obey him. You know, I, I want to do what he wants me to do. I know that he knows me better than I will ever know myself. And I can, I can trust that. So, how are we doing on time? Okay. <laughs> um, what, so I, I've talked about what love is. Love is obedience from a renewed heart. You know, it's obeying the commands that he puts and writes inside of me. All I need to do is, is remain close to him, abide on him, and that is a distinct possibility. It's a reality that I can enjoy. And how we get there is we yield our hearts to him. If we are not believers, it's impossible. It's impossible to, to please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please him. There, there's no possibility whatsoever. And so Jesus created the way. He says, I am the way. And I, I need to come to the place where I, I realize that. Um, in my own testimony, I, I sought for different things. I rejected Christianity, uh, the Lutheran Church, when I was 15 and, and tried to find meaning in life and, and went through many different paths, but finally came to a place where, where God orchestrated my circumstances and he sovereignly brought me to a place where I wanted to know if he was real or not you know I didn't really care before that but the way he engineered my circumstances I had to know if there was a God or not and he did that you know and that that leads into I think why why we want to do this why do we want to love him what what is our motive for loving him is it only for myself for, for blessings that I get? Is it only so uh, I, I enjoy uh, material wealth or health or pleasant circumstances? No, that's, that's not why I obey him. Um, there's something, you know, the title of this, this talk here is called Love in the Sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means, speaks of God is in control. He understands everything. There's nothing that happens outside of his control. And when I realize that and understand that and walk in that, then I'm going to love him 
by obedience. So I just want to talk a little bit about sovereignty and God's control. In Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 8, there's an amazing verse here. This is God speaking of Jesus. He says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. Nothing. That, that's amazing. And this says here, At the present we do not see, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but it is, whether we see it or not. Everything is in subjection to him. Nothing happens that surprises him. Nothing. What we've experienced for the last year, this pandemic, that did not catch God by surprise. It was actually his permissive will that allowed that to happen. The enemy cannot just do an end run around God and, and you know, surprise him and, and, and mess with God's people. Anything that happens on this earth has to pass through the filter of God's sovereignty. It's, it's how he's orchestrated it. Um, the enemy had to get permission to mess with Job for everything he did. And, and, and God allowed that. There are, there are difficult things in the Bible. And, and how do we navigate these? I think we come back to the sovereignty of God. God is in control of everything. Uh, there's some examples I just want to talk about, some biblical examples of um, God's sovereignty. I, I think of Abraham as one who received a promise. Uh, through your child, uh, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And it took a long time and a lot of trials and missteps to get there. But he got there. And there, there's his son. And then God says to him, take him up on the mountain. I, I, I want you to sacrifice him to me. And, and there's obedience. There is obedience. And, and it says, I think, in Hebrews that he reasoned, Abraham reasoned in himself that he, if he killed his son with that, that dagger, that God was able to raise him from the dead. <laughs> he had trust in the sovereignty of God, the power of God to, if I had to go, you know, I'm going to obey God no matter what. And if it costs the life of my son, this one who's the promised child, I don't get it, God. But you told me that, and I understand it, and I believe it. And if I have to go through with this, I will do it. And I know that you are able to raise him from the dead. And, and the Lord said afterwards, now I know that you love me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for obedience. And then the, the most incredible act of obedience representing love that ever took place is, is our Lord. You know, he, he did not have to come to this earth. He chose to come. He did not have to bear our sin. He was sinless. He did not have to go through that. Um, and in the garden, another garden there in Gethsemane, he, he prayed and he asked his disciples to, to stand with him, and they failed. They, they could not help him. He was there alone, being tormented by the enemy. And he asked, Lord, Lord God, my Father, is there another way? Is there another way? Can this cup pass from me? 
And, and he didn't, if there was another way, he would go down that road. But his father said, no, this, this, is, this is the path that I have for you. And he said, okay. He didn't have to do that. And, and the agony that he experienced on the cross, far more, I think, than the, the physical suffering, uh, the mental anguish of being separated from God, uh, more than anything that any of us will ever experience on this life. He experienced and took all of that so that we don't have to. Uh, and that's, it says in a verse here, uh, I believe it's in uh, Philippians, that here's the, the submission to the sovereignty of his father. Um, said he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. <laughs> he entrusted himself to his father who would, you know, he didn't really want to go through with all this, but he entrusted himself to his father so that salvation could be obtained for the world. Um, and he entrusted himself to his father to send the Holy Spirit to raise him from the dead so he could come out in that newness um, Without that, he, he would remain in the grave. You know, he was, by the Holy Spirit, came out of the grave in newness of life there. So, we live in a time where people don't really understand, I think, or respect or believe in the sovereignty of God. I think the times that we've been in the last year or so are quite quite interesting in regard to control. You know, we, we have uh, our culture, our nations broken into tribes and, and people um, feed on misinformation. People feed on all kinds of crazy, wild things. Even though the things that people um, are hungering for can be quite easily proven to be false <laughs> people still believe them and and it's interesting when uh, i was thinking about these things these things of something that have concerned me and i've wondered about for years and um in the morning of january 6th um, i i wrote some things down in my journal i was just thinking about this and one of the things that struck me was the whole idea of running after misinformation is really underneath it all, a, a desire for control, a desire for being able to manage and understand my circumstances. Um, so when things are crazy, I'm going to reach out for anything that, that looks good. I, I, I want some security. I want some stability in my life. I want to feel like I, I've got this. And, and that's the, the need to reach out for belonging and for maybe conspiracy theories and misinformation, it's not so much the information itself, but it gives me a sense of belonging, a sense of control. It, the, the, the information doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if it's false, but people will reach out and try to latch onto that so that they feel like they have control. And in reality, the church should be out there saying, don't worry about it. The Lord is in control. He's sovereign. He's got this. I don't have to run after wild, crazy things. Another example was last spring when the pandemic was just getting going really strong there. A lot of people were dying and 
there was a, a study done in, I think, both in Germany and in um, England that as the infection rate rose with the virus, the number of hits on conspiracy websites also rose. <laughs> People were reaching out for, for something that would that give them a sense of control and, and security and hope and identity. And the church, the church is what has that. We as believers, we who understand that we obey the Lord from a renewed heart and that we, we understand that he has all things in control. My life, even though it seems chaotic at times and, and, and the world itself seems chaotic and I don't understand things, uh, I, I live in this tension where I'm a new creature in Christ and yet I still have a sin nature that I have to ask for forgiveness for. Um, uh, you know, uh, how do I navigate that? Uh, every day I have to live in the tension of choosing the Lord and walking with him. And it's, 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 not, it's not easy. It's a challenge. Yet as we navigate this, we can be like Paul who says that we are cast down but not totally destroyed. We, we march on even though things are difficult and there is overcoming life that is manifest in all that. So it's, it's an amazing thing. So the last, last verse, one of the last verses here I have for you is Philippians 2.12. Here's how we deal with the tension of my choices that I have to make, that I'm accountable for in God's sovereignty. He's working together at the same time. It says this in Philippians 2.12, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. His sovereignty and my choices are working together at the same time. I, I choose to yield my life to him. He chooses to work things in my life for his own good pleasure. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. And I think learning to embrace the, the, the tension, it's, it's not all God is, you know, I'm, in a, I'm a rat in a maze and I can only go so far this direction, or it's all up to me and everything is under my control and I can just speak it and it happens. No, it's a combination of the Lord working in me, I listening to him and following him and walking with him and trusting him. And, and we're co-laborers with him. And, and th that's the way he organized it. He did not make us to be robots that we just automatically follow him no matter what. There's a part that we play in this. So. <clears throat> and then I, I, I do have one last verse here that I'll share. And this is from Job after he went through all that he experienced. It was, it was a difficult difficult thing where <clears throat> the Lord allowed the enemy to do horrible things. He allowed that to happen. And it's there in the scripture. You can't just explain it away. It's like, and, and Job at the end of his, this whole chapter, this whole book about him, he says this, I know, this is Job 42, verse 2, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing. That's an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. 
Amen. Amen. I'll just go ahead and pray. Pray for us here. Um, Lord, you, you've asked us to be light, to be salt in this earth, to be ones that are rightly connected and joined at the hip with you, Lord, and walking in the power and the, and the magnitude and the glory and the wonder of your spirit, listening to you, abiding with you day by day. You, you understand all of our ways, and yet you condescend to work with us to love us, to uphold us when we fall, to encourage us through your own spirit and through one another. And we give you thanks for that. And we pray, Lord, that as we bank our obedience on the life you put within us, and as we bank our obedience on the sovereignty and control that you have over every aspect of our lives, you've numbered the hairs of our heads individually how can you not also deal with our bills and our our troubles our, our whatever comes our way you're more than able to navigate that and lord i pray that as we as your people walk in this way that we would be a light that people would see that there's a difference people that would see that there is a confidence and a boldness to trust you no matter what comes our way. And I pray that especially in our culture, in our country, and in our day, that that reality would go far, far and wide, Lord, in this land. We just ask all of this and give you thanks for who you are. In your name.